Welcome to That You May Know Him, a podcast dedicated to helping you know Christ better than ever before. Hey everyone, this is Blake, and welcome back to That You May Know Him, the podcast that's dedicated to helping you know Christ better than ever before. We are back once again for the Friday special, and I'm joined by my good friend, Carlos Castaño Mejia. He's the pastor of Sharon United Methodist Church. Carlos, welcome back. Glad to be with you again. First question, how's it going? Also, love the hat, bro. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you again. Uh, it's always wonderful to speak about God, especially CRT, as we came with this name, meaning Christ Righteousness Teachings, because that's what we need to learn in this life. Not in vain, the world is chaotic because people do not know about the Word of God. And, and that's why we need the Bible a lot. And about this hat, well, I like it. You know, I love this country. It says 1976. I was born in 1973, but it's as close as I could get. But that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It says 1976. Yeah, yeah. 1776, the year of our founding. You are almost 200 years to the date after. That's correct. I mean, it's 1776, not 19. I wasn't born in 1973. So it was basically yeah, a different yeah. 200, almost 200 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Carlos, for being back. I think we're going to continue doing the Friday specials as often as we can. Today, we're going to be continuing what we started last week, which is a special sort of series called Biblical CRT. We're going to keep talking about critical race theory and keep holding it up against scripture. What we want to do is let scripture shine the light on this topic so that the truth is revealed. Um, we've said pretty clearly that we think critical race theory is not uh, compatible with Christianity. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't care about issues of justice and things like that. It just means that the Bible gives us a completely different lens through which to view the world, society, uh, than critical race theory does. So we're going to continue the discussion on critical race theory by looking at a different passage in scripture today. But also, Carlos and I are going to take a few minutes and talk about some of the current events that are going on in the world and in America right now, because I think there is a direct connection between some of the things that are happening in Washington, D.C. and some of the other headlines that we're seeing in the news. Um, between those things and CRT, there's a direct connection. Uh, and so we're going to talk about them uh, because as Christians today, uh, it's very possible that, uh, in fact, it, it's already happening. It's not even possible. It's happening that our, our faith is becoming uh, more and more of a thing that people are attacking and speaking out against and trying to curb, especially if you are a Bible-believing Christian. There's a lot of Christians in the world who are Christian in name, uh, but they're more passive than anything else. They don't have strong convictions about what the Bible says. For those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, uh, it's important that we know what Scripture says about how we act and how we function in the world today, especially during perilous times. 
Would you, would you uh, agree, Carlos? Or what say you? Of course, I agree completely. And that simply shows people's ignorance about Scripture. Uh, they are biblically illiterate, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's something that we talked about in the second episode ever done of that, of the, that you may know him podcast. Uh, that was one Carlos and I did together called the boy that drives the plow. And somebody actually was talking to me about that episode recently. And they said, I loved how you and Carlos were so brutally honest because you've both been working in and around the church or been involved in the church for most of your lives. And I was reading some, st some statistics at one point in that episode about how many Christians who go to church actually read the Bible. I think I was reading Pew Research statistics. And it was something like 30% of Christians read the Bible uh, at least a couple of times a week. And you were like, that doesn't sound right. I don't agree with that. It's not that many. And I was like, you know what? I don't think that sounds right either. And the person was saying, I just loved how brutally honest you guys were because from our experience, it's true, right? That's correct. And that's why we are here to be honest and to be true about the Bible because the Bible tells us that, or Jesus Christ namely tells us that whenever we teach or preach or spread good news of salvation, some are going to receive us and welcome us. Others are going to reject us. And some others are even going to try to kill us. Yeah. So in other words, a Christian's life is not an easy life. It is a difficult life because of the kind of world in which we live. The world is not a good example in the Bible. Whenever you hear the word world, yeah. God is telling us basically the world is sinful. The world is bad. Do not conform to this world, but to me. And I am paraphrasing Romans 12. Yeah. Yeah. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's true. And in 1 John, just to take it a step further, it says that friendship with the world is actually enmity with God. You can't be at peace with the world and at peace with God at the same time. So it's impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible. So we're, we're going to get into all that. And that is definitely why we're here to speak truth, to hopefully let the word of God shine truth into our hearts, into people's hearts, and to encourage people to be set apart, to, to, to realize that this world is not our home. We have something way greater to look forward to than what we experience in this life. This life is filled with God's blessings when you love him with all your heart. But it's not the ultimate prize. It's not the ultimate prize at all. That's correct. Yeah. So, okay, let's get right into it. We are, uh, again, continuing with this series on the Friday special called Biblical CRT. It stands for Christ's Righteousness Teachings. That's what we're calling Biblical CRT. We are responding to the unbiblical methodology known as critical race theory. It's becoming very pervasive in our society. We're doing that by offering a biblical framework for understanding the groupings that God utilizes, that God utilizes to categorize humanity in this day and time. Just a quick recap in critical race theory, you're grouped into either one of two groups. Every human being is either part of the oppressed group or the oppressor group. Uh, 
in God's economy, that's not the way it is. You're either made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ or you're dead in trespasses and sins. It's a completely different way of looking at things. We're calling this series, again, Biblical CRT, Christ's Righteousness Teachings, and we're looking at places in Scripture where God talks about righteousness, specifically what it is, who has it, how to get it, and should we pursue it. And so all this is being done in the framework of understanding how righteousness acts as a recategorizing force in humanity. Today's passage is John chapter 3. Uh, there's something really interesting about this passage. I'm going to wait to share it right off the jump. Because as, as I've said, biblical CRT for us, we're calling it Christ's Righteousness Teaching. Um, see, if, see if the audience can point it out. We're talking all about righteousness. We're going to see what this passage has to teach us about it. Carlos, I'm just going to read this real quick, and then I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about how, for you, the passage clearly shows us this recategorizing that God has, right? Or the lens that God uses when he looks at humanity. Does he see oppressed and oppressor groups? Does he see white and black? Does he see male and female? Or does he see something different? So I'll read the passages. John 3, 16 through 21. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." That's John 3, 16 to 21. Um, Carlos, we're talking about these groups, uh, how, how humanity is sort of categorized or grouped by God. What can we glean from this passage in particular? Well, again, the title of our studies and what we're doing right now is CRT, Christ Righteousness Teachings. One of the first things that I wanted to mention is that it is very evident here that there's, there are two groups of people. One group of people believes, so they are saved through Jesus Christ. And the other group does not believe, so they are condemned. Okay, so the same two groups we talked about last week are exactly the same two groups we're talking about today in a little bit of a more specific way, um, sort of way of speaking. Now, yeah. when we go to the scripture, we have to remember that this is a conversation that Jesus Christ is having with Nicodemus, a yeah. high important theologian, if, we, if you will, right? A Pharisee, yeah. very important person 
a member of the Sanhedrin. So yeah. this was uh, an academic person, uh, yeah. a teacher of the law, if you yeah. will. And, yeah. and that's why it is important to pay attention to this conversation. Before getting to John 3.16, Jesus Christ tells Nicodemus something that astonished him. And it is, you have to be born again. Yeah, that's right. What does it mean to be born again? And if we read these verses today, many people, and we're going to break it down, Blake, I suggest that we do it verse by verse because these yeah. are these are serious implications. Yeah. A lot of people misuse the, the, the verse 16. John 3, yeah. 16 is very used, but is very misused. It's yeah. been actually worn out and that's a sad thing. Yeah. Why is it? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, be careful yeah. with this. For God, what? So love the world. This yeah. is agape love, uh, an unconditional love, a love that gives everything and anything possible for the others. In this yeah. case, for the world. That's why it says the world. And it says that God gave his only son that whoever, and this is the key here, this is our condition. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, be careful with the word believe, because believe then means that you have to know God's word and you have to know God's commandments. Yeah. It is not true that grace wipes off or wipes out the law. That is not true. Jesus Christ himself says, do you believe me? Do you love me? Keep my commandments. So this is important. Grace and law and, and, and love are together as well as the law. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Blake. Well, I think, I think, um, Paul's clear that righteousness, the right standing that we're given in Christ means the end of the law in the sense that not that the commandment is bad. Paul is clear that the commandments of God are not bad at all. The commandments of God are good. It's that the, the purpose of the law was never to create righteous people. That's what Jesus Christ did when he offered himself. Now we receive righteousness by faith, but grace is the power to live out the righteous life. I think that's what we, what we want to say. It's, by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to fulfill what Romans 8 says is the righteous requirement of the law. Yeah, that's right. And I would also add that a good example of that is namely the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Yeah. Including the high priest, of course, uh, because they would do according to the law what was right in the eyes of God, but it was not true. Jesus Christ condemns them and says, you are blind, leading the blind. Yeah. And he tells his disciples, do not listen to them. Yeah. Okay, because their worship of the heart, in other words, the love towards God and commitment and righteousness, in other words, is not there. It's apparently there because they do what it's right in the eyes of people. But in the eyes of God, they are not doing it. That's why Jesus Christ, like you mentioned, comes in and he shows us all, not only the Pharisees, 
but also the Gentiles, how to live the law in the right way. And that's why we take Jesus Christ's uh, um, grace yeah. and we his righteousness. Yeah. Am I right, Blake? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The law is not bad. That That's clear through all of Scripture. In fact, Paul, another place that's coming to mind is Romans 7. Is the, it, the, the law is just and noble and good, right? It's not the law that is our enemy. It's that we have... We have no ability to fulfill the law in our own strength and of ourselves, which is why our, our direction sort of gets reoriented away from the law when we're in Christ. But the law is still good. That's absolutely uh, foundational in Scripture in the New Testament. I think the thing that, that I really see in this passage, especially as it relates to CRT and when we're talking about righteousness, the thing I was talking about earlier that I was, I was wondering if people were going to notice as I was reading the passage, the word righteousness isn't even used in the passage. And yet it still so clearly signifies this difference between people of the light and people who are not of the light. Now in CRT, everybody's grouped. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on your, your, your actions or your works or your personal lived experience. It's based on your intersectionality, your skin color, your religion, your sexual identity, whatever you want to call it, sexual preference, your gender. So you could be, you know, I mean, there's no such thing as an innocent person, but it doesn't matter who you are. If you fit a certain profile, you're put into a certain group. And if you're put, if you're put into the oppressor group, you no longer, you no longer have a a moral ground to stand on. You're not allowed to speak to the things that are going on in the world. Blake, and I would also add that these groups, these categories are man-made. Absolutely. They are not divine categories at all. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, again, coming back to the point of the world as we advance in this paragraph, in this yeah. chapter, uh, the world is against God, and God basically is against God. Not that he wants to be against the world, I'm sorry, but he wants to save the world through Jesus Christ. Yeah. The problem is that who are the ones who are taking God? Who are the ones who are taking Jesus Christ and his grace? Who are those? By living a righteous life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By faith. Yeah. What, what this so clearly distinguishes, th those are man-made groups. And what this says is that actually outside of Christ, there's only one group. If, if you're not in Christ or before we were in Christ, it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. If you don't know Christ, look, th there's no other way to God. The scripture is clear. God has one only begotten son and it's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth and the life. If you're not in Christ, you are according to this, uh, someone who's, who's in the dark. You're already condemned. We're born dead in trespasses and sins, meaning we have an inherent sin nature. And if we don't receive eternal life through faith, we have a finite amount of time. Don't know how long it is, but when we die, then that's it. Opportunity lost. The only way for that to change is to accept Jesus Christ through faith. And then everything changes from there on out because God changes us. He puts his spirit in our, he puts his Holy spirit inside of us. 
which is what Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus in the context of this passage. I love what he says. Nicodemus says, what does this mean to be born again of the spirit? Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And then he talks about the Holy Spirit and being born again like the wind. This is John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words, you might not have a miraculous sign. You might not have thunder and smoke and cloven tongues like fire coming down on you. You might not know where it came from, but when you're born again of the spirit, you have the Holy spirit, you receive it. It becomes a part of you and Blake, that forever changes you. First about the Holy spirit moving through the scriptures to, through the word of God. Say that again. Do you remember that verse um, about the spirit of God moving through the word of God, the Bible. Yeah. The all, reason why I say this is because all, all scripture is given by inspiration. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the problem with this verse for many is like, okay, the blind, the, the, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Many people would say, okay, so what should I do? I mean, I don't feel the calling of the Holy spirit, the, the advice or the, the piece of advice that I can give to people is if you read the Bible and you pray and yeah. you fast, yeah. the Lord is going to be revealed to you. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you the difference of or between life and death or yeah. right and wrong. And when I yeah. say the word right, that's why we're talking about the word righteousness yeah the right thing to do remember being righteous means being right with god yeah. through jesus christ through faith absolutely absolutely and and this there's a clear analogy or comparison here connection here between being right with god and being someone who loves the light right because jesus said that the light has come into the world He's repeating actually what John says in the beginning of John's gospel, right? The light came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. Jesus Christ is the light that comes into the world, that came into the world. And for many people, they love the darkness more than the light. It's not up to us to decide who loves the darkness and who loves the light. It's up to us to announce, to present the coming of the light to anyone and everyone and encourage implore people to come into the light let your works be exposed come into the light turn your life around accept jesus christ as your savior nothing nothing is better than actually accepting christ and living a holy life a life that's acceptable to him a life that's pleasing a life where when you're alone with god it's it's the most real time. In other words, when you're with people, you know, oftentimes in the world, everybody has a face that they put on. You're a certain way when you're outside, when you're at home, maybe with your family or when you're by yourself, you're a different person. But for Christians, it should be a total turnaround of that. The real you is when you are alone with God and, and you are the same person, a person who lives in the light, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, regardless. Blake, I have a, a great example. I, I hope that 
you remember about this because we were in that class together. And I think it was in church history at Duke Divinity School in our first year. And we were learning about Luther. Remember? Good old um, Martin Luther? Martin Luther. Yes. Yeah. Not Martin Luther King. Okay. Martin Luther. Okay. The yeah. German theologian. Okay. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm going to read this because this is extremely important. <laughs> is it funny? I know what you mean. I, I know. I know. You got it, right? I got it. Martin Luther, <laughs> church reformer. He was That's it says here, suppose there's a dog carrying a piece of meat in his mouth as he walks alongside a lake. He turns to look at the lake's surface and he sees the reflection of the meat in the water. He opens his mouth and snaps at the reflection of the meat, losing both the meat and the reflection in the process. What I'm trying to do with this is to illustrate a way in which today many Christians, many who are called Christians, are doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And like this dog trying to snap at the piece of meat on the lake, is losing both the meat, in other words, salvation, yeah, and the reflection itself. If, yeah. uh, I mean, this is condemnation, and people don't want to speak about that, and people don't do it today. You know why? Because why? they don't want to be held accountable for what they do wrong, okay? So yeah. we need to be careful. It says here, in order, in order to become a Christian, one needs to cling to what Jesus has done, just as the dog clings to the meat, and if they do, it will be reflected in their life, just as the meat was reflected in the lake. In other words, what James says, show me your faith, and I will show you my works. Yeah, yeah. I actually completely agree with that. So I, um, I think there has been and is in the Western church for some time, a huge disconnect between uh, following Jesus, being a Christian who lives a Christian life and, and actually walking that out. Right. We, we have made church such a pinnacle of Christianity that it's like, if you go to church, you check it off the list. I did my Christian thing for the week. This of course, isn't everybody, but it's a lot of people. I check it off the list and now I'm good. And there's not really any difference in how you live your life. And I, I used to listen to a guy who used to pretty regularly, who used to say all the time, if you've gone to church for 30 years and you respond differently, you, or you respond the same way in a crisis as the person who's never been to church in their life, you're missing something in your Christianity. Something is off. Something's not right. And that's true. And, and look, I, I'm the first one to, to thank God when I see commercials on TV, like there were running at the end of last year, where people said, you know, there was someone on the TV that said, uh, pray this prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, you're saved, you're going to heaven. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that people are saying, hey, accept Jesus Christ. But it's, it's, not, it's not quite like that. It's That's not following Christ is not a decision that you make in 20 seconds in front of a commercial. And then now you have this blessed assurance uh, that you're going to heaven and, 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 you know, all hell can't stop you as they used to say. It's I cannot agree more Blake. 
Yeah. And that's yeah. the downfall for many people. Yeah. They believe that by doing this, uh, I think it's called faithful prayer. Yeah. Oh, the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer. They're already saved. But I'm going to tell you something. It, 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 if that is that easy, the question then it is, why did Jesus Christ walk with his disciples and the disciples had to learn from him about salvation? Yeah. If it was that easy, why did Jesus Christ just ask everybody back then in Israel and Galilee and said, to them, okay, pray this prayer with me? this sinner's prayer, and then you're saved. That's it. I don't think Jesus Christ ever did that. Is that right, Blake? No, that's that's actually, yeah, that's true. That's true. That, and, and that makes sense. I mean, I know it sounds funny and even silly, but that's the way it is. I never saw Jesus Christ. Never yeah. saw Jesus Christ telling people, hey, pray with me this uh, sinner's prayer, and then you're saved. That's it. Yeah. That's I'm going to use a theologian from Duke University. Yeah. His last name is, how do you pronounce that word, uh, Blake? Hauergas? Wergas? Oh, Hauerwas? Yes, Hauerwas. Yeah. He said this, and I, I cannot agree more with him. He said, many Christians want to get their salvations as cheaply as possible. Yeah. In other words, they don't want to do anything. Of course, mm -hmm. remember, salvation is not through works. That's but true. once you become a Christian and you do the right thing, the Holy Spirit we're talking today about, the one that Blake was reading us today about, is going to lead us. How? By knowing the word of God and knowing his commitments and what Jesus Christ is teaching us. That's why it's called CRT, Christ Righteousness Teaching. Yes. Yeah. I, so yeah, I'm glad that you, that you said that because I don't, I don't think we're giving the impression, but I certainly don't want to give anyone the impression that becoming a Christian is hard. It's not that becoming a Christian is hard. It's that it's not, it's not a small decision and it's not something that you decide once and then you never readdress again. It's a lifetime commitment to follow Jesus, to, to love God, to love his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're saying. And so um, <laughs> there's a, there's another theologian that used to talk about this. He talked about the cost of discipleship and not that I want to keep quoting this individual, even though I, I respect his life a lot. Um, I don't agree with everything he wrote, but I just, I just uh, referenced him on a YouTube teaching that we did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he has a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he talks about cheap grace, that grace is free for us because we don't have to pay for it, but it was not free for God. And if you become a Christian who's a Christian in name only, Christian in name only, yeah, Chino, I don't know, yeah, a Christian in name only, is that real Christianity? I don't know, it's it's... It's a, it's a deep conversation. It's, it's a difficult one to have. We see clearly in scripture that we're saved by grace and we're not saved by works, but we also see clearly in scripture that the evidence of salvation, the evidence of genuine conversion is when someone loves God with all their heart and, and lives a life that demonstrates that, that demonstrates genuine faith. And Bonhoeffer was one who lived at, at a, an incredibly uh, difficult time in Germany, 
Uh, he was he was living at the peak of World War II and the Nazis taking over that that country. He ended up becoming a martyr uh, toward the end of the war. But before that, in the early 20s, he was a young Ph.D. Uh, in theology at the University of Berlin. We're talking, you know, people like w- who we're familiar with, Carlos, high end academics who happen to study theology and biblical studies. Maybe some of them, some of them believe in God. Maybe a lot of them don't. But he used to talk about with students, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Do you actually love Jesus? You can't be a Christian if you don't love Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And I thought that was inspiring, an amazing thing, especially. People would say, uh, Blake, when, when, when we speak about this topic of being, uh, of taking salvation cheaply, many people would use I would say cleverly another passage in scripture, which is that of the thief on the cross, okay, asking for forgiveness. And then Jesus Christ tells him, I assure you that you will be with me in paradise tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this, this is a completely different way of seeing this. And this would take us a long time because there's a lot of theology behind it. But with people like you and me, Blake, that have lived, I'm 47 years old now, and I am starting to get to know more and more about God. And what I'm trying to say to you people, just to give you some hope, is look, if I die today, you know where I'm going? I'm pretty sure that I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Why do I know that? Yeah. Because not only I have taken Jesus Christ's grace, and righteousness teachings, but I am also walking the journey yeah. all the time, just as the disciples did. Yeah. So I'm not afraid of dying because yeah. I know where I'm going. Now, yeah. the question then is, do you, those of you who are listening to us, to Blake and I, do you think you're going to heaven? How do you know? What, how much do you know about righteousness? How much of righteousness is part of your life in your yeah, daily yeah. and everyday living? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Righteousness we're going to get into over the next few weeks is not, it's not only something that we are given by God. It's something we pursue and we continue to pursue throughout our lives of following Christ. Um, Carlos, I just want to ask you, before we move on, because I want to have a little time to talk about some of the things going on in the world right now in America, because they are directly related to this topic, CRT, critical race theory. And we're talking about biblical CRT, Christ's righteousness teachings. What does this passage have to teach us about righteousness? Because like I said, it doesn't mention the term righteousness, but it does mention belief, coming to the light. Uh, these things are connected. It's like they're one and the same actually. And we know from scripture that if we believe, if we come to Jesus Christ, we are made right with God through faith. But we yeah. are also talking about, we're talking about hating the darkness and wicked works. And, and I believe the Bible teaches and it's also the lived experience of the Christian that when you, when you, when you realize who Jesus Christ is, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, 
And at once you are aware that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And at the same time, you're convicted that you need a savior desperately and you turn to him. That's a life changing moment. It's a life altering moment, but it also uh, has a result that comes afterward, which is you, as you grow in being sanctified, you love the light more and you hate the darkness more. And I see this playing itself out in my life. Not that my life is the example. Scripture is the standard. But as I continue to grow in God, you know, things I used to not even think twice about, I don't even, I don't even like or even tolerate anymore. And I'm not talking about things that are, um, things that are, oh, you hear that dog barking in the background? Sorry about that. Is that your dog? That's, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, UPS he is God's creation. <laughs> Wrong house. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. There, there are things, you know, like your sensitivity to, to the darkness becomes greater. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. Okay, yeah. About that question, why are we using John 3, 16 through 21? In the first place, because John 3, 16 tends to be misused and misunderstood so badly that people say that basically because of love, Jesus Christ accepts everything and anything in you. In other words, who you are is fine. That's not true. That is a byword yeah. as the scripture describes it. And But I'm going to tell you this, Blake. On verse 19, it clearly says, and this is the judgment. Judgment is a synonym of the word verdict that yeah. is also used in other translation, yeah. translations and also means law, okay? In other words, what is what this says is what it has to be done. In other words, judgment becomes a far synonym of the word righteousness because once you say this is the judgment, you are saying this is the right thing to do yeah. and you are going to describe the right thing or the wrong thing yeah. okay and we can see it afterwards it says the light has come into the world who is that light jesus christ okay yeah, yeah. and people love the darkness rather than the light y la gente odio las tinieblas en vez de la luz what it means and i'm saying this in spanish because you know i'm hispanic i'm just trying to tease with you yeah baby roll right there is People prefer to do what the world tells them to do. If the world, for example, says that drinking alcohol and getting drunk is right, then you have that right, and that sounds good. Why? Because the flesh, the flesh likes it. I invite you to read Galatians 5, and you will see what it says about that. But it says they, people love the darkness rather than the light. And look at this. This is extremely important. Because their works were what? Evil. Evil. Of course, if our comfort zone is getting drunk, if our comfort zone is cheating on our wives, if our comfort zone is smoking, not taking care of the temple of the spirit, if our comfort zone is stealing, we don't want to listen to the word of righteousness that comes from the Bible. We want to keep doing what we are doing. And if the world and the governments, the rulers of this world, tell that that is right, we are happy with that. And it says, for everyone who does wicked things 
hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, I don't know about you, Blake, but someone told me one day, Carlos, I don't come to church so that people tell me what my sins are. <laughs> and I was telling that person, I don't even know what your sins are. Is God telling you something? Yeah. That's different because we're reading the Bible. Yeah. If we're reading the Bible and there's something wrong and you don't like it, it means that we, or you in this case, need to work about that. Yeah. But listen to this, 21, and this goes with righteousness, Blake. But whoever does what is true, true is also a synonym of the word righteousness. Did you know that? Of course you do. But whoever does what is true, in other words, righteous, comes to the light. Of course, because they want to get to the light, to Jesus Christ. So that it may be clearly seen that, what it, that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, when we accept Jesus Christ, one of the first things that we do is to confess our sin and then repent. And then we are baptized. In yeah. other words, we are born again. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. And yeah. remember, the Holy Spirit cannot be manipulated. Yeah. Because it moves from east to west, north and south. You yeah. can feel it, but you cannot see it. I yeah. hope that's a good answer, Blake. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You went a little further into the into the context of the passage, which I uh, appreciate i think it's important and good uh to do that i think well there's no arguing with it everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light because their works would be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his his works have been carried out in god last thing about that god's going to get all the glory for those people that carry out good works, it's going to be seen that their works were done in God and they were the result of God's spirit and God's leading and God's inspiration and God's grace. And so that is a beautiful thing because we want to stress, absolutely, there's a huge difference between the way God sees people and what the gospel offers and what critical race theory offers. And Blake, can I ask race, a quick question? Critical race theory uh, yes, you can. Offers one view of the world. You're either one of two things, and there's no changing it. What God says is that anyone who comes to me through faith in Jesus Christ is transferred, transferred from being yeah. a child of darkness to being a child of the light. All you have to do, according to this, is be willing to walk in the light. And whatever darkness is in your past, it doesn't matter. The light's going to hit it. We all have stuff from our past. None of us are perfect, but the light's going to hit it and it's going to be cast as far as the East is from the West and you will become a person who walks in the light. Yeah. What's your question? Well, actually it's two questions. Number one about this passage. Yeah. Can you clearly see from verses 19 through 21, the two groups we have been talking about and according to these words, where can you find them? In what verses? Where can you find the righteous? And where, where can you find the, the unrighteous people? Where can you find them? 
Yeah. What do you mean exactly? In verses 19 through 21, you can see the two peoples that we're yeah. talking. The light, yeah. People love the darkness. Correct. The light. Uh, and whoever does what is true and comes to the light. Where, where can you correct. find those? The, oh, you find them in the light, right? Right. right. That's right. correct. So you see, you find the believers, the mm -hmm. ones who get to Jesus or cling to Jesus, righteousness through yeah. faith. And the ones who do what? Evil. Evil is a synonym of the word wrongdoings. In other words, unrighteous. Yeah. So we need to be careful with that. That's one thing. But I want you to think about this uh, theologian and philosopher. And I don't know if you know about him, Blake. His name is William Lane Craig. And he yeah. said something that is extremely yeah. great. And I, I'm going to try to paraphrase it in the best way that I can. But it, he says... If there are subjective, moral, and ethical values in this life, those come from God. What I'm trying to say is, or what he is trying to accomplish by saying that, is that without God, there's not right yeah. or there's not wrong. Yeah. Everything is yeah. acceptable. Yeah, right. He said if there... It was objective moral values, right? Correct. Objective. objective. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, William Lane Craig is a, is a wonderful resource. He's a wonderful apologist, um, Christian teacher. And he's absolutely right. Uh, if you boil it all down, where does – if you believe that there's such thing as right and wrong, which most people still do, at least they say they do, where does that belief, that inherent – uh, understanding that there's a difference between right and wrong. Where does it come from? We refer to it as the moral law. This is getting into like a little bit of Christian apologetics. And That's correct. Apologetics. But if there's a moral law, there has to be a moral law giver who gave us that. It didn't spring out of nowhere. Everything in nature, if you look at the animal kingdom, teaches the opposite. Animals aren't concerned about right and wrong. Animals, it's, it's, it's every person for them, every person, every animal for themselves, Right. It's instinctual. They kill. It's kill or be killed. There's a, there's a chain. There, there's all those things. We are the only species with this highly, highly developed sense of morality. Even people who have a seared conscience, still, there's something inside of them that speaks to them, even when, in most cases, they suppress it and push it down and, and, and try not to listen to it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's... That's completely true. Hey, if you don't mind, let's just switch gears for a second before we run completely out of time because I want to talk a little bit about speaking of this, loving the light and good and evil. There is an objective moral law that exists in the universe. God says that everybody has a chance to see it and know it and know him actually through it. Everybody who's born has a conscience, right? Has this ability to see things. That's why Jesus can say something like, if people don't come to the sun, they're already condemned. It's not that they're going to be condemned. They're already condemned because their works are of the darkness. Um, Isaiah 5 talks about calling good evil and evil good. Right now, the United States Congress is beginning to 
have discussions and arguments with one another about this new bill that's coming out. I'm not an expert on it. It's going to be a twist or in addition to the Civil Rights Act. Uh, and it's going to be one that basically includes rights for rights that were uh, originally for, you know, to, to eliminate racism and things like that for people who are transgender, homosexual, all those sorts of things. Now, let's clarify what we mean. It, it's not as much that protecting the individual rights of people is at stake. It's that this is going to severely cut away at religious liberty and it's going to force Christians, for instance, and Christian institutions like schools, um, daycare centers, adoption agencies to, to hire people uh, to, for instance, a Christian school may have to may be forced to hire someone who's gay or transgender, even if that goes against their, their moral belief or their moral standard. So uh, first chance to respond. And I'm going to pull up some specific examples here while you respond, Carlos. So do you want me to respond? Yeah, yeah, yeah go for it. Yeah. That's, um, that's according to the word of God, I'm going to be categorically yeah. uh, wrong about this. This is all an abomination against God. Yeah. When I use the word abomination, it's something that God does not like at all. Yeah. And I don't think that the freedom that the church has yeah. to follow the Bible and live according to the Bible has to be taken away by the rulers of this world. That clearly shows an aberration in this world, something that is going on so wrong yeah. that they are starting to influence the church, not the church influencing the world, but the world influencing the church. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Yeah. Because many so-called Christians that I, I hope you agree with me, uh, you agree with me, uh, uh, Blake. Yeah. Many people who are so-called to be Christians are yeah. not. Yeah, they are bringing lies into our churches. Yeah, I also understand, Blake, that that's part of the last days. Yeah, that there's false prophets, false yeah. teachers that yeah. are going to come in Jesus Christ's name, and they are not really Christians. That's yeah. why Jesus Christ says. These people worship me with their lips, yeah, but their hearts are so away from yeah. me. So yeah. this is crazy. I don't think this is acceptable. You know what, Blake? I yeah. do believe, and I was talking about this with my wife before coming back home. I feel sometimes, give me your opinion about this. Yeah. This is going to break into probably kind of a civil war because yeah. those of us who believe in God and the way that righteousness is instituted yeah, and those who want to change everything, yeah. those of us are not going to accept that. And yeah. in other words, I know that there are people who are strong Christians and they are yeah. going to do something about it. I don't yeah. know what you think about this. Well, but this, is wrong. this is all wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just... Uh backtrack a little bit. Yeah. 
it, I think there's always been an apostate church that's existed for the long, for as long as the church has been around, but Jesus definitely tells us that it will get worse the closer we get to the end. And second Peter is a really great book. It's a, not a long book. It's only three chapters. It's a good book to read and understand. Talks a lot about the return of Christ, his second coming. It also talks about the false teachers, the type of people that will rise up in the church at the end, uh, not long before Christ returns, people that lead others astray after their own desires. And I think the church in America has had so much freedom and so much prosperity and more or less, I mean, cultural, I don't want to say cultural dominance, but cultural liberty and cultural capital for so long that this is why you see some of these things coming to pass. The church has more or less been asleep for a long time. Uh, there's always been a faithful remnant of people who were awake, who were watching, waiting, who were speaking the truth. But I mean, I, I point to this a lot because I think it's the best example. We have the prosperity gospel everywhere. We have churches with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that pour in every week to hear a message that says, if you believe in Jesus, you'll get richer, you'll be healthier you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll live a better life here and now everything will be gravy train for you. Meanwhile, the pastors are becoming multimillionaires. The people are sowing into this and it's just a scam and it has absolutely no founding in the Bible at all. We're talking about a Lord who was crucified on your behalf and 12 disciples who 11 of them, and I'm not counting Judas, by the way, but 11 of the 12, including Matthias, who was voted in, died by martyrdom before the end of their lives, right? The, 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 the Holy Spirit says to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, when he's telling him to go and baptize Saul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Uh, I mean, it, this is on and on and on and on. Why? Because like you said at the beginning of the episode, this world is not our home and our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in eternity and our joy and our peace ultimately is in God and in Christ. I'm telling you, that's where the real blessed life is. It's not in money. It's not in power. It's not in any of that. All that is fleeting. If you know God, you will have joy and peace that passes understanding and if you don't, you won't. You'll have fleeting temporal stuff that's like sand that just runs through your fingers. So all that to say, I was a little, I got a little, a little. Uh, Passionate, that's okay. But You were on fire, Blake. You were on fire. That's but, what we need. Yeah, I mean, th this is biblical Christianity, what we're talking about. And, and so I, when it comes to a civil war, I'm not going to say whether I think that's going to happen or not. I I think it's very easy to understand two perspectives. Uh, one perspective is that we are not called to overthrow governments, to build societies. We're called to follow Jesus in the way we love our neighbor as ourselves. But we also are in an incredibly unique position as American Christians. Our constitution our constitution, yes, our government is founded by the people of the people and for the people. You could argue, sorry, do you, my dog's barking again. You could argue that, that that has done a lot of good 
for the church. And it's done a lot of bad too, because for all the reasons we're talking about, we've lived in a society where we're accepted, we're beloved, being a Christian's normal. It's great. That's not the type of society that historically produces strong Christians, but should we be thankful for a society where we can live in peace and worship God freely? Absolutely. We should. Should we, should we pray for that? Thank God for that. Intercede for that. Uh, yes. Fight for that. That's, I don't know if I'm going to answer that one on, I don't know if I'm ready to answer that one right now, but I'll pray. Absolutely. And I'll speak up and I'll raise my voice. Sorry. Go ahead. Say something. When I, and when I say about confrontation, I'm talking more um, in spiritual, in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, that the apostle tells us that our fight is not against flesh, yeah, but against powers and principalities. Yeah. That's and right, evil, right? Yeah. So we need to fight these principalities, and this the only way to fight this is to be with God all the time, to be led by the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So at least we can be a faithful testimony. That the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and God is in our lives. And then we show our fruits, not as a result of our works for salvation, but as a result of our faith. And there are the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives that Mm -hmm. leads us to do good works. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just so I, I couldn't agree more, just so I clarify... Um, what I was talking about earlier, Congress is beginning debate this week on HR five, otherwise known as the equality act. This is legislation that would amend the civil rights act of 1964 to include sexual orientation and gender identity. So what would happen if it passes sanctions, uh, on abortions and remove pro-life protections from businesses Introduce, introduce sexually explicit content to school curriculum across the nation. That's a problem. Uh, pressure struggling children toward experimental cross-sex hormones. Yeah. Allow males to continue in girls' athletics. That's something that I want to touch on specifically. Allow males to enter girls' locker rooms and women's shelters. Ban faith-based foster and adoption agencies from, uh, from operating. And yeah, overall, generally silence people of faith. Again, you could be sued if this passes for uh, if there's a Christian school that doesn't have openly gay people, openly trans people on their faculty, they could get sued for it. Um, when it comes to the, the biological males competing in women's sports, the Biden administration just, I should say the Biden Justice Department, not technically the, Bi- well, it is the Biden administration. It's the Justice Department just removed their support for a lawsuit that was filed by three high school girls from Connecticut who are track stars who have been dominant in their sport for their middle school and their early high school career. But the last two years have had to compete against biological males who are running in the girls track meets and one girl in particular, who's the daughter of a Hall of Fame baseball player, uh, was hoping for scholarships, won two state championships when she was young, and now has lost two state championships to biological males the past two years. The Trump Justice Department supported their lawsuit, saying that 
boys who are biological males should have to compete with boys and biological females should have, should be able to compete with one another. This was part of other legislation that was passed and I'm pulling it up right now, but all that to say, um, this is crazy, isn't it? This is, this it is, is. is like, for example, you know that you have women's bathrooms and men's bathrooms. Yeah. But I mean, about two or three years ago, people started saying that you need to have gender neutral bathrooms. Yeah. So both women and men can come in. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. not, I mean, that's not the way God created us. No. I've created women and men or men and women. In other words, there is a difference. And I'm sorry about those who are feminists. If, they, if you don't believe it and you don't see it that way, I'm sorry. But that's what God says. Do you yeah. want to believe God or not? That's your problem. But God clearly says that we, you are either a man or a woman. Is that yeah. right, Blake? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And while there's, uh, there's this distinction that's made in society now between your sex and your gender, they say that gender is a social construct. Sex is a biological thing. Uh, I don't think that the Bible supports that uh, at all. I think that there are, there, are, there are certain aspects of gender, like gender norms that, are, that, are, that vary from society to society. There are also very clear gender constructs that exist in every society in human history. And there's ones that are clearly and explicitly detailed in scripture. Uh, there's a, there's a famous, uh, I don't even know. I didn't, didn't know who this person was. She's a singer or an actor. I don't even know which Demi Lovato, who just, you know, it was, was, uh, what's it called? Not tweeting, not surging. She was trending, trending last night and this morning because she did this long tweet about how gender reveal parties that people have for babies are wrong because, Boys can have vaginas and girls can have penises. But the funny thing she said was, if you don't agree with that, if you don't agree that girls can have penises and boys can have vaginas, you're not living in reality. And your reality isn't backed up by science. So they're actually saying that it's scientific to say that boys can have vaginas and girls can have penises. I mean, what... Where did we get as a society where this is just, I mean, there are masses of people that just accept this and go, oh, okay, well, I guess that's what we're doing now. This is, this is absolutely opposing and opposed to the truth that's revealed in scripture, where we read that God is the one who creates every human being, and he creates them either male or female that everyone's life was known before by God and he created them specifically, uniquely special. And I see it as the ultimate rebellion because what you're saying is at my most basic, fundamental, biological level, I'm not what you made me to be. I want to be my own person. I want to be my own God. You made me a female. I'm going to be a boy instead. I mean, it's- I'm going to tell you something, like those people yeah. like that, what's the name of that person again? You mean, do you mean the, the actress singer who's trending for what she tweeted or Instagrammed or whatever? Yeah. Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. You are not God. <laughs> I suggest you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> read the Bible and then 
reflect uh-huh. what the word of God tells you, but you are not God. Anybody that does uh-huh. these kinds of things, and that's the other problem, Blake. Yeah. People are setting eyes, especially young people are setting eyes on idols. And who yeah. are those idols? Sports stars. Celebrities. Actors. Right. That uh, have become big influencers. That's right. the big word today, influencers. Right. But right. what kind of influ- influencers are those? Yep. Do they right. believe in God? Yep. I couldn't agree when more. When a person like Demi Lovato says that, she's basically completely ignoring the objective moral values that God has yep. for humanity. Yep, yep. You're, uh, it's actually a sign, uh, one of the Old Testament prophets who actually, th- that is an indication of a, of a, of a nation that is, that is in decline. When you prop up as your, your standard, your, you know, the, the people that are revered in your society are ones who are completely morally debased. I think it's, uh, yeah, we, we saw the beginning of this years ago, but it only went warp speed when social media became a thing. And now all these movie stars who are lauded and who are idolized because they're rich and because they're famous, even though from what I can tell, most of them are miserable, depressed, and well, like you said, don't know what in the heck they're talking about, are blathering, mumbling idiots, a lot of them, excuse me for being a little crass there, but uh, these people are held up like they're standard bearers. And there's the idea of righteousness of, of virtue is just completely gone. It's like these, these people, who gave them authority? Since when does their opinion hold more weight than God's opinion? I mean, that's correct. It's just crazy. It's unacceptable. That's Mm. something that that is why I was telling you, Blake, And I tell you, all of those who are listening to us right now, read the word of God. Amen. There are even Christians, like Jesus Christ says, even there are some people who call me Lord and they all honor me from their lips, but their hearts are completely torn away from me. You have to distinguish to this discriminate against those people. And yeah. when I say discriminate, be careful because this uh, this is a dangerous word. What I'm trying to say is to, you have to make a distinction between yeah. sound doctrine yeah. and that that is not. Yeah. Because there's a lot of so-called Christians yeah. that rather than helping people be safe, yeah. they are condemning themselves and yeah. they are helping others being condemned. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You're 100% right. And so just to close up, like sort of final thoughts here or wrap this up, the reason that we're talking about some of these things, like what's happening right now today with these high school girls who are filing a lawsuit and the administration just removed their support from it, Title IX, um, you know, Congress is trying to pass legislation that would severely limit religious liberty. It's just, hey, be aware, the times of Christians being free to do whatever they want in America might be coming to an end. We encourage you to pray for your country, to pray for those who are in authority. Even if you didn't vote for them, you're still called to pray for them. 
It doesn't it certainly don't don't idolize these people. Don't think that people who are politicians uh, are are somehow superior to you. Again, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But as Christians, be ready to stand for truth if difficult times come. And if difficult times come, and you face it. If we are called to suffer because of what's going on in our world for standing on the truth, be prepared to do it. Be prepared to stand on what the truth on what the word of God says, regardless of what society says or what the government tells you. And don't be a Christian who talks yourself in to settling and to making little you know, to, to, to giving in a little bit here and giving in a little bit there. And, oh, well, God wants me to be blessed. And, oh, well, God wouldn't want me to, you know, to have to endure that hardship. No, standing on the truth is the most important thing. And when we're talking about the world and not being friends with the world and the fact that we're sojourners, this theme that runs all through the Bible, not just the New Testament, this world is not our home. That's what it's talking about. The people of faith who stand for God, the people who are who are whose lives are given to us as examples all through Scripture. Sometimes they experience great blessing and great prosperity in this life, and sometimes they're called to endure incredible hardship. But you know what God says about those people who are called to endure incredible hardship for their faith? The world's not worthy of them. That's the truth. When we get to the other side of eternity and those people, and maybe it's you and maybe it's me stand before Christ, he's going to say, you know what? The world was not worthy of you, but you're worthy to be mine. And so that's what we look toward. That's what our hope is in that day when we stand before him face to face, not what may or may not happen in this life. Yes. Amen. Amen. You got anything else, bro? <laughs> the only last thing, everybody, please focus on verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen yeah. that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, do what is right because you know what is right. You know what is the difference between right and wrong because you know Jesus Christ yeah. and you know his commandments and God's commandments. Yeah. And the Bible is telling you here that once you do that, it may be clearly seen that your works have been carried out in God because Jesus Christ is who? God. Jesus Christ is both fully man and fully God. Yeah. Yeah. The Messiah, the one who was born from above, the Savior the savior of the world. Carlos, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We pray that you're well, stay blessed, stay encouraged, keep reading this book, and please join us again next time on That You May Know Him. God bless you. God bless. See you next time. Hasta la vista.